Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and today on Wellbeing we're going to discuss the common problem of eyesight difficulties which normally have required the use of contact lenses and uh, glasses but now we have a revolutionary new treatment in laser surgery and to discuss this with me I have Dr. Mike Lawless, Medical Director of Vision Group Sydney and Surgeon at the Eye Institute in Sydney. Welcome Dr. Lawless. Oh, pleasure, Virginia. How long have you been doing laser surgery for? The first uh, eczema laser, which is the laser used to reshape the cornea, which is the way that you can improve the optics of the eye and make people see better, was done in September 1991 here in Sydney. Um, That's the first time in Australia, at least, and uh, that was done by Chris Rogers and myself. Um, That led on from, uh, from... work done elsewhere. The first time the eczema laser was used in a sighted human eye for that purpose for short-sightedness was in mid-1986 in New Orleans. The eczema laser in 1991 was uh, in retrospect relatively primitive but did a good job and did fundamentally a similar thing to what is done in 2007. problem is with with people who wear glasses or contact lenses, mm-hmm. the majority of them um, require those for short-sightedness and astigmatism or long-sightedness. Mm-hmm. Now, that means their eye is either too weak or too powerful in the way it bends light. Right. And the only way you can improve that surgically is to alter the power of the front of the eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, the front of the eye is the cornea. Mm-hmm. And luckily the cornea is, uh, is a very uh, reproducible structure between people. My cornea would be very similar to yours. Uh, it, would, it doesn't really alter between races. Uh, there's very little change with age. It's a very uh, uh, reproducible, stable tissue. Mm-hmm. And that means that um, it, that's, that's why, uh, at least in one way, why trying to change its shape uh, can be fairly predictable. And you change its shape, it's like sculpting. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. start with a cornea, it's a certain shape, you want to make it another shape. It's just like sculpting marble. Right. Um, you have to, to remove some mm-hmm. in order to give it a different shape so that it suits that person's particular eye length and power. Mm-hmm. And that's all eczema laser work is doing. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's trying to sculpt the cornea and... Um, uh, allow the person to see better. Mm-hmm. So where actually is the cornea in the eye, if you were to describe it? Oh, the cornea is like the, the window on the front of the eye. In the front it, of the pupil. Somebody, it, it's in, it's, well, the pupil is, is, is actually just a, an empty space. Right. If you look at somebody's eye, you, look, you actually look through the tear film. The tear film is, is not just for wetting. It actually acts like a very fine, um, wet lens on the mm-hmm. surface of the eye. And just behind that is the cornea, mm-hmm. and behind that is some fluid, behind that is the pupil, behind that is the lens, and it keeps going back to the retina in the back of the eye. Right, okay. And by what mechanism do we actually see, and just in simplistic terms, so that we can understand the power of the cornea? Oh, okay. The, well, there's, there are two elements within the eye um, uh, that allow you to focus light on the back of the eye. The whole purpose of the eye really is to bring an image onto the retina at the back of the eye and that gets transmitted via the nerve at the 
back of the eye to the brain. Right. So the eye is, in, in essence, part of the brain. Mm. But in order to focus it, there are two elements really within the eye. One is the cornea, which is on the front, and one is the lens, which is inside the eye behind the pupil. Mm. Now, it's the, the cornea on the front, that's accessible to treatment because it's there. And, you, can, and it's, uh, you don't have to go inside the eye to change it or manipulate it. You can also do things to the lens. You can take the lens out and put a new lens in, and you can alter the optics that way. And that's increasingly uh, done because that's cataract surgery. Mm. Um, and that's a very, uh, very uh, useful and, and accurate way of changing the optics as well. You don't really want to do that in a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old because it's good to retain your own lens until late in life. Is that because it can change shape? Uh, it, it, for two reasons. It, your own lens has the ability to accommodate. That's why a, a 30-year-old who is normal optically does not wear any glasses. Hmm. By the time you get to 50, even if you're normal, you'll wear reading glasses because your lens has lost its ability to change shape. It's lost mm-hmm. its elasticity. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of less use to you beyond the age of 50. The second reason, though, to keep your own lens um, is that it has a, uh, some protective effect on the, on the retina at the back of the eye. Um, if you take the lens out of a 30-year-old, and sometimes you have to with injuries or if they get juvenile cataract, you, you increase the risk of that person getting a detachment of the retina in 10 or 20 or 30 years. And so it actually has a, has a structural protective effect. So it's good to retain your, your own lens uh, at least until your 50s, generally. Um, uh, beyond that, it's, it's, it's less of an issue. Okay, so that's the advantage of using the cornea to change the focusing ability of the eye, sculpting it. Mm-hmm. Also, it's also it's external because if you go inside the eye and cataract surgery, lens surgery is, is by surgical standards it's very safe, but it carries some mm. uh, risk of visual loss because mm. you're inside the eye. If you're if you're within mm-hmm. the cornea externally, it's much less likely that uh, any issues will arise. That uh, issues arise, but it's rare to get serious problems because right. you're not inside the eye. Right, you're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and I'm discussing laser eye surgery with Dr. Mike Lawless. What sort of problems are amenable to laser surgery specifically? Uh, well, most things that are optically related, say, and it could be, for example, a, um, a 25-year-old who's short-sighted who, wear, who has problems with distance vision, they wear glasses or contact lenses, and if they are structurally suitable for LASIK, that is the, the lasering to change the shape of the cornea, and they are relatively stable with their optical error. They're the two things you want to have um, uh, in order to proceed with surgery. That person can generally either have their glasses or contact lenses eliminated or their dependence on them much reduced. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes for people with astigmatism. Um, what's what's astigmatism, if you wouldn't mind explaining that to uh, people? Yeah, it's a bit hard to explain without diagrams, but the short, short-sightedness means the cornea, the front of the eye, is in essence too powerful for the rest of the eye. Okay. And short-sightedness means your distance vision is blurry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Short-sightedness is the same as nearsightedness or myopia. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're interchangeable terms and confusing terms. Astigmatism means that your cornea is generally shaped a bit like an egg. Um, so there's two two curves as opposed 
shaped like a, a soccer ball, which has essentially one curve. And so astigmatism can occur by itself or it can occur in conjunction with other errors like short-sightedness or long-sightedness. Mm-hmm. And astigmatism is very common. Um, say, of, of the people who think they're being treated just for short-sightedness, well, three-quarters of them have some coexisting astigmatism, which is treated as well. Um, it may be a small amount, it may be a large amount. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's treated in the same way, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a corneal shape that is less than desirable for that individual eye. Mm-hmm. So you change the corneal shape to try and uh, to, to make it suit mm-hmm. the power of the rest of the eye. You're individualizing the cornea so it fits the rest of the eye. So does the equipment that you use actually measure the problem and then match that to, say, a normogram or or what the cornea should look like for that eye and then do that surgery itself? (laughs) I mean, obviously, I'm asking the surgeon this and it's it's a bit bit, bit ego-challenging, I realise. But but just trying to get at the nuts and bolts of of what actually happens. What, What happens... In the majority of people these days, or is this, the, the, when you think about if, if someone goes to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist and has their, their eye examined, mm. remember they sit in front of a machine and they put lenses in front and they say, is that better or is that worse? Yes or no? Is that clear? Is that blurry? That's a, that's a, a pretty good way to do it. It's been done for um, hundreds of years. The, the better way to do it is to do it objectively. So it takes away your decision to say yes or no, better or worse. To mm. do it objectively, so it takes away the, the subjectivity of the examiner doing the, the, the examination and also the, the, um, uh, the subjectivity of the person because sometimes it's hard to tell. Mm. And so what happened in, um, and this came from astronomy um, and actually from part of the development of the Hubble telescope, they um, um, they they looked at ways to um, measure the optics of the eye objectively, and so now you can um, it's called a, it's called wavefront analysis, and you shine a laser into the eye, a laser which doesn't uh, cause any um, uh, harm, mm-hmm. and it bounces back off the retina, and it bounces back in a way that you can capture what's coming out, and in that way you can measure the optics of an eye individualized to that patient like a fingerprint. Whereas um, if you get a pair of glasses, you might get, for example, a minus three. That, that would be a very common prescription. It would be a minus three. That's what's made up in the glasses or contact lenses. Well, your eye is not minus three. Parts of your eye are minus 3.17. Parts are 2.86. It is the, and, you, and wavefront analysis allows you to capture all that information and then develop a and what's called an algorithm to 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 allow a shape change to occur within the cornea, mm. and there's some fiddling with that. There's some individualisation of it depending on surgeons and equipment, but that's mm. the basis of what has made it a better procedure. That's where your skill comes in. Uh, well, my skill and a good piece of equipment, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and an understanding yeah, of what, yeah, what yeah, exactly. you're doing. You know, yeah, you yeah, need yeah, to, yeah. But that's fine-tuning, isn't it? And that's what gives you greater uh, ability to focus and that's what gives you clarity of vision. It gives you clarity of vision. It makes you more likely to fix the error. Yep. The other thing it does, and this was a fundamental shift that yep. made things better, 
It also made your vision better under a range of conditions which are less than ideal. Right. Because life is not sitting in a doctor's office with lights on yes. and, and, and what you call right. contrast. So it allows adaptation as well, yes. Yeah, life is about grayscale and mm-hmm. subtleties in vision and cars coming at you out of the fog yes. or, or driving into the sun yes. or, or, yes. or those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And by fine-tuning it, it allows you to make it more physiologically normal. So mm-hmm. It actually mm-hmm. gives you a better quality of vision overall, not just more accuracy. Mm, mm. Can everybody have this surgery that has glasses, contract lenses? No. To get rid of their visual problem? Short answer is no. Right. The majority can. Mm. That, the other thing that's happened over the um, 16 years since we've been doing it, and a fundamental thing is is it's been much better worked out who is suitable and who is not right. based on their corneal anatomy. Largely. And that you assess when you that, see that, them initially. That, you want a good piece of equipment, but you want somebody who knows what they're doing yes. to assess the cornea and decide, are you suitable for LASIK? Right. Uh, and about 80 to 5% of people are. Mm-hmm. Are you suitable for what you'd call surface laser? So not LASIK, but surface laser, um, depending on your corneal anatomy, or are you suitable for a lens procedure, or should you have nothing done at all? Right. And okay. that's been fundamental in, in improving the safety, because in the old days, people were done with LASIK. It was thought that LASIK would fix everything. Yes. You'd be able to fix any optical error in matter. Yes. And, and that some of those people went on to develop weakening of the cornea right. um, two or three or four years later. Mm-hmm. And it, became, it took a good while um, to work out uh, who was suitable, who was not, where you could avoid these problems. Mm-hmm. That's fundamental in making it a, a safe thing to do. Right. So is the safety profile of the procedure fairly standard or is that dependent on your equipment again and your surgeon? Uh, look, look it's, it's, it should be standard, mm-hmm. you think, and, and it pretty much is. The standard in Australia is very high. Right. The <laughs> standard in some countries is... Um, excuse me is um, <laughs> not as optimal. Uh, yeah, well, mm. it varies, you know, it, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. the equipment is expensive. Mm, uh, okay, a, and it gets updated frequently, it. yes. That's right, and, you, mm-hmm. and, and surgeons have variable levels of expertise. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. This, is, this is like all surgery. Yes. You have your gallbladder removed, it's good to have your gallbladder removed by a surgeon who does a lot of gallbladders. And, um, then, and then when they get older that they have the LASIK in order to... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and so there are, there, are, there are regional variabilities, but the sure. standard in Australia is extremely high. Right. And the thing that's often cited is the cost, because Medigare doesn't rebate this, does it? No, it doesn't. The, um, they don't class it as cosmetic. They realise it's functional in the sense that it's not a... Um, there are cosmetic procedures which make people uh, perhaps look better or... The, this is this is this is and this has been done. Many studies show that people have this done rarely because they want to look look different without glasses. Mm-hmm. They have it done because they feel they have a disability and they mm-hmm. want to function better. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like um, um, people who are deaf who wear a hearing aid. Yes. Well, they can be sometimes that can be restored. So mm-hmm. it's a functional um, surgery, not a cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. But that said, Medicare won't cover it. Yes. Um, uh, apart from exceptional circumstances, for example, if you had corneal transplants, if you had certain other things, mm-hmm. um, they will cover it to right. try and make the optics better. Right. Um, right. A small number of health funds, but they're niche health funds, cover it. Um, right. um, 
but the majority don't, and I think that's just a commercial decision. Yes. They've, um, they they realise that, well, they presumably have made up their own minds that people would join, have it done and leave, and it's not commercially viable for them. Right. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm discussing laser eye surgery with Dr Mike Lawless of the Vision Group in Sydney. We were discussing previously that this can, this laser surgery can be used for things other than the common eyesight problems. What sort of conditions do you see that you feel are, you know, really well helped by this sort of surgery? Well, laser surgery for the cornea is is, is essentially um, for optical errors. I think there are there are other things occurring. Um, to make the cornea better, there's a relatively common disease, for example, called keratoconus, um, which young people get, people in their teens and 20s, and that, that's a disease of the cornea where its, uh, its shape is, uh, is a bit steep, a little thin, a bit unstable. And there's now, uh, as, as really only in the last 12 months in Australia, there's a, there's a treatment to try and stabilise the cornea and make it stronger. And stop this disease progressing, and that's that's been a that's been a spin-off in a way of um, laser surgery to the cornea because it's it, it's a bit like military technology. This started to be done, and people started to examine the cornea mm. and understand it much better. Mm. And as part of that, they realised, well, here's this disease that actually leads to corneal transplantation in a significant number of young people. Maybe we can do a different thing, and they looked at ways to do with. Um, uh, strengthening the cornea with a process called cross-linking with ultraviolet light and riboflavin chemicals. And they've been able to do that in a fundamental uh, improvement in the treatment of that disease, keratoconus. Uh, and in essence, that's come from, from some of the work with laser treatment of the cornea for short-sightedness. Right. And is that sort of something that has been pursued just recently? Yeah, just recently. It's actually not TGA approved in Australia yet. It's under, there are two trials, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney going on, uh, and there are trials elsewhere in the world. Uh, it, it, and that's a reasonable thing to, go, to do to go through those trials. Uh, but there's no question it's going to be the, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a bit like orthodontic treatment for people with keratoconus because it will be a stabilizing process to, to deal with a problem before it becomes a problem that needs a cornea right. transplant. Right, so that would be something you would be picked up by an ophthalmologist in an adolescent who's complaining uh, of eyesight yeah, difficulties? an ophthalmologist in a, right. tends to come on around puberty and it often gets mm-hmm. a bit confused because that's the time when kids become short-sighted as well and need their first pair of glasses often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. this disease, that's what happens. And then mm-hmm. over two or three years, the cornea, their short-sightedness becomes much worse. They get astigmatism, the cornea becomes irregular and then they, it's a progressive disease of the cornea as opposed to simply an optical problem. Right, so it's the progressiveness of it that, that gives it away. Rapidly. That's right, yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. It seems to me that eyesight problems do tend to occur at hormone, times of hormonal change. Is that because the cornea is affected somehow by hormonal change? It is. There's a, there's a hormonal element on corneal hydration. The right. cornea is not... Uh, it, it, uh, I guess I've been a bit simplistic in describing it as a thing you can just sort of slice <laughs> sculpt. It actually has a, a, a quite a complex structure of, of fluid being pumped into it right. and fluid being pumped out of it all the time. There's a pump mechanism. Mm. And the hydration of the cornea is, is in a very delicate 
the hormonal influence. That's why, for example, women who become pregnant, mm. um, uh, a small minority of them become contact lens intolerant in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. They can't wear their contact lenses mm-hmm. it's because their cornea has become a little more swollen. Mm-hmm. And also their short-sightedness can increase for that mm-hmm. same reason. Mm-hmm. And then that can mostly will reverse after the, after the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few pieces the of evidence. They're not well described. They're, they're not yep. well understood, I mean. Uh, yes, and certainly hormonal manipulation is not seen as a, as a, as a treatment, no. <laughs> because it's not understood. It's just, yes. it, the, the mechanisms are very poorly understood and that right. we need being useful as a treatment, let alone yes. understanding why it does what it does. Yes, yes. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much for your time. I'm sure that the listeners would really appreciate a contact if you have one for more information because it's a vast topic. Um, do you have a website? Yeah, Virginia, the, the, um, the best website is probably www.viinstitute. It's all spelled out, T-H-E-E-Y-E, institute.com.au. And there's a lot of uh, information on there to do with laser surgery, but also other eye diseases and contact points and, and, uh, and quite a lot of reference articles and sort of news items as well. Mm. Well, thank you very much for, I know, taking time out of a very busy schedule and also for developing the expertise and, uh, and, a, and a fabulous resource for people with eyesight difficulties. Oh, thanks, Virginia. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Dr. Mike Lawless. You've been listening to Wellbeing on 2NURFM 103.7. From all of us here at 2NURFM, we would like to say we wish you well.